0: Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. We've been going through a series by Tim Keller talking about Jesus in the Old Testament, and we are going to continue on that as we look at the life of Jacob this morning. But if you remember the past few weeks, we've seen Jesus as a true and better Adam First of all, because just as Adam failed in the garden, Jesus is a true and better Adam who prevailed in the garden. When Jesus in the garden, he said to his father, not my will, but yours be done. That's how Jesus is a true and better Adam. And then we saw Jesus as a true and better Abraham as well, who stepped out into the unknown abyss so that we wouldn't ever have to, even crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Jesus said stepping out into the unknown, taking the Father's hand and trusting him. And we saw Jesus as a true and better Isaac as well, who was not just offered up by his father on Mount Moriah, but Jesus was actually offered up by his father on Calvary. And while God, he said to Abraham, he says, Now I know you love me, Abraham, because you do not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we can say to God the Father, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, Father, for us, for me. And so today we're going to see how Jesus is a true and better Jacob whose bruises on the cross brings healing to the self-inflicted bruises stemming from our own brokenness and from the brokenness of our world this brokenness that causes us to be separated from God. We'll see how Jesus is a true and better Jacob endured the bruises on the cross. He wrestles with God the Father on the cross so that we would never have to do that. Now, this whole wrestling story is very personal because as most of you can tell, I'm an athlete, right? Thanks. And so in high school, which was at the height of my athletic prowess, I was on the wrestling team, which you know at every high school is the most popular sport, is the wrestling team. It's probably because of the singlet, which is also called affectionately the unitard, the unitard, uh, and the tights, which I wore proudly every week. And so, it's very, very personal for me. And uh, I remember as well, my wife said, Uh, if you had known me in high school, I wouldn't have dated you, you know, for sure. (laughs) Smelly rooms, you're on starvation diet, you wear tights, the whole bit. And I said, you wouldn't have dated me because I was in high school and you were only in junior high. That's why. (laughs) So, but this wrestling story is a real deal. And so we see Jacob wrestling with this mystery man. I'm going to Make, make a case that I think is not, not just a mystery man, but someone very specific. And keep in mind the context for this wrestling story. If you take a look at chapter 32, verse 9, it says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do good. Verse 10 I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant, for with only my staff I've crossed this Jordan. Please now I've become two camps. And so we have Jacob reminding us as he's about to meet his brother Esau that God is the one who called him back to this land for this meetup. This moment, God is the one who told Jacob to do it. And We're going to see how in this encounter, we have some amazing revelations about Jacob and his need to go deeper with the Lord. Now, Jacob, to remind you, has not seen his older twin brother, Esau, for decades. And there's a story there, a wonderfully dysfunctional story, okay? And so to remind you, what Jacob does, he actually steals his older brother's inheritance from him through trickery, by pretending to be his older brother. And then Jacob flees because his older brother Esau now wants to kill him. And then Jacob eventually gets married, He ends up getting a second wife. And if you read the fun story, he ends up sleeping with their servants as well in order to have kids because the wives are competing to be more important to Jacob. So this family puts the fun in dysfunctional. I mean, this is like a soap opera or whatever kind of drama story that you have read before. This tops them all. Now, Jacob becomes so successful, though, even in the midst of the dysfunction, that he has to flee his father-in-law as well. So he has to flee his older brother, who he tricked. He has to flee his father-in-law, who he tricks. He's going with two of his wives. Oh, and they're sisters, by the way. Awkward, okay? So you have all this dysfunction in Jacob, who has caused a lot of this trouble by his own doing his own fault. Two family members, one him dead. His wives are competing for attention. Uh, He's had other kids from other women. Okay, now he's going back because God tells Jacob to go and face your brother. And I think God's saying, go face him, maybe even go apologize. And because last time Jacob saw Esau, it was a death threat. So he says, after decades, I want you to go back. So what he does, he leaves with all of his acquisitions to face his brother, his livestock, servants, wives, kids. So this is another way of saying Jacob is very, very wealthy. Okay, he's made it. He is flourishing. Okay, so he has all this stuff. And then what he does as he goes back to meet Esau, he gets bad news. His brother is coming to greet him. Yay, he's bringing 400 fighting men. Boo, this is not a good situation. It's the worst fears for Jacob. After decades of avoiding his brother, God tells him to go face him, and in the midst of facing him, now there's an army coming probably to kill him, okay? Surely Esau is out to get revenge, rightfully so, perhaps, of so the army of men. This will be his last night on earth. Perhaps Jacob is thinking that. So Jacob prays, and he, as he prays, he sends a large gifts in hopes of appeasing his kind of long-lost brother, So he sends all, like, the riches that he has. He sends livestock. I mean, thousands of animals go before him for this meetup. Sends his servants. He sends, he shows how God has blessed him, and he's offering it to Esau, saying, "Would would you accept me with this gift? But then Jacob spends the night alone, and this is when God meets up with Jacob. So Jacob has a meetup with Esau, but before he has the meetup, he has a meetup with God, which I'm saying is disguised as this mystery man. Now, again, this is a very dysfunctional story straight out of a soap opera. So I hope you're able to see Jacob here trying to manipulate his way again in his life, trying to manipulate his way through this situation, which I've been saying he's been doing his whole life. His whole life has been trickery. His whole life has been trying to kind of shuck and jive and kind of talk his way and make moves through life. Now, God tells him to face his fear of facing Esau, perhaps even asking forgiveness. But as soon he gets, as he gets close, his very worst fear is realized. He's going to be killed, as he assumes. Now, some scholars even think, you know, all these gifts. You mean, imagine sending thousands of livestock right ahead of you. He sends it all to Esau to appease him. But some people even think, like, that's a brilliant military strategy. Because in the midst of, like, thousands of sheep and oxen, things like that, it's going to be a lot harder for Esau to catch him. He's going to have a lot more places to hide, right? It's a military strategy as well in case of an attack because it's not easy to execute a battle plan with thousands of livestock blocking the path. Now, Jacob's whole life was filled with fear, with insecurity, and he'll use anything, even livestock, to get an edge. Okay? Jacob, the insecure one, who used trickery. So I'm going to take a moment to talk about Jacob's insecurity. Now, his name, Jacob, literally means heel grabber. Well, how do you get that really fantastic name? Well, as he came out of the womb, there was older brother Esau, the twin brother, and then he came, but he, at birth, was already grasping at his older brother, and it was just prophetic. For his whole life, he would always be grasping to get the attention To get the respect, to get the love, to get the affirmation, and to get the literal riches from the favored older child, right? Happens in every family, can happen, right? You've seen it in your own life. Maybe you have an older brother, older sibling, or there's a favored aunt, or there's a favored sister, whatever it would be. That drama in your life is right here in the Bible. So his name means heel grabber, could also mean usurper, one who is grasping. And so remember in ancient times, I said that names were prophetic. And so Jacob, the heel grabber, the usurper, gives you a picture. He's always striving to catch up to his favorite older brother, coming out of the womb, grabbing Esau's heel as if he were trying to get ahead. So do you know anyone who gets joy out of hindering other people? do want you pause for a second. Think about that. Do you know anyone in your life who gets joy from seeing other people kind of misstep? There's a book that was written about a decade ago called Tripping the Prom Queen, and that book was all about how women who enjoy seeing other women fail, tripping the prom queen. That doesn't happen with men because we're just peaceful and non-competitive, right? Every human being, we are tempted to find joy and satisfaction in other people's demise. We got to look out for that. Because that's not real happiness. That's not real joy. That's not real satisfaction. And it makes people miserable to be around you, by the way. If the only way that you can get happy is by seeing other people miserable, that means that you're always trying to make them miserable to feel good about yourself. Well, who wants to be a friend with you? Right? So look out. You may not do that in every relationship, but look out for yourself the way that you sabotage yourself and your friendships. Because you are wired, because you haven't allowed God in that place in your life, You naturally find kind of almost like a hit, like a joy, like a like some energy when you see other people doing worse. You feel better. Oh, I feel better about myself because their life is worse. Be careful, (laughs) because that's not real discipleship. That's not really growing in the joy of the Lord. You're depending on other people's demise to make yourself feel better about yourself. And men and women both do it. They can do it to uh, men to men, women to women, they can do it to each other. Fathers to children, children to, to siblings. And so we can't pretend we don't know what what we're talking about here because it's, think about this. It's, what am I talking about? It's, think about maybe uh, uh, a workplace that you left, and after you left, like the company did worse right after you left, and that's that little smirk inside, like, eh, right? You ever catch yourself doing that? Or maybe it is your actual 10-year high school reunion, and you see the prom queen, And you notice, like, she's gained some weight, and people can tell. Like, it's a little bit of like, yeah, I never really liked her in high school either. Oh, how are you doing? So good to see you. (laughs) That's not you, though. I mean, I know that's not. No, one in here, secretly feeling better about themselves because that person doesn't look as good. You see, if we are the kind of people who get joy from other people's pain then you're settling for something less than God's best. You're really training yourself for a miserable life because the only way you know how to be happy is from other people being miserable or at least less happy than you or less successful than you. And you're cheering on their demise, maybe even secretly so that you can feel better. And you wanna say, Tim, I'm gonna change that. Well, you know who can change it? God could change that in you. He can give you a real joy that actually lasts. You don't have to rely on other people feeling worse in order for you to feel good. See, in the long run, that's no way to live. You're relying on other things to make you satisfied. So here's the thing. Here's the problem that we have. We rely on good things to make us feel good. So I I won this, or people said I look good, or people liked my video, or they, they clicked like, or whatever they did, they made you feel good. And so you feel better about yourself when these good things happen, okay? Or you feel good when bad things happen to other people. Think God's like no 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 neither one of those is true true joy even our good things can become ultimate things pastor tim keller says it can replace our true worship of god even good things good successes good good achievements if they if we make them ultimate things becomes false worship See, back in Genesis 25, 26, where the drama really unfolds, you see Jacob, you see Esau, the brothers, they have this tumultuous relationship even from the beginning. Esau's the favorite older brother who's, he's manly, he goes hunting, right? He's like, oh. first son, manly hunting, he brings meat to his dad, and dad loves meat, and so he's like doted upon by dad. Everyone knows Esau's the favored child, he's the firstborn, Ancient civilizations, even in uh, societies today, it's the firstborn male who gets it all. All the inheritance, all the love, all the favor. And so we see Jacob, he's always grabbing at Esau's heel. He's always trying to get his father's attention because the favored one always gets it. He's always trying to prove to his father, perhaps, that and to his family and to the world, that I'm just as important as Esau. I'm just as worthy. I'm not, I am not negligible. I'm going to show you how important I am. And so Jacob's whole life possibly is driven to prove himself to a father, to a brother, to a mother, to a world that says you don't quite measure up. And in some ways he's saying, well, I'll show you. I'm going to show you I can do it. See, but Jacob knows he's kind of more of a mama's boy, the Bible describes, Esau's daddy's favorite. And this will haunt Jacob his whole life, always trying to prove himself. And so his insecurity stemmed from not relying on God as a center of his life. He always needed needed something good to happen to make him feel good, or he needed other bad things to happen to other people. The heel grabber, the usurper, the tripping the prom queen, always looking for a way for someone else to make a misstep to make me feel better. Perhaps Jacob is like us, that we don't rely on God to be our center, securing our center of joy and hope. Perhaps Jacob's insecurity drove him to even to go after the beautiful girl, Rachel. Maybe he thought, if I can just have her then my life will be complete. I know a lot of guys like that. If I could just have her, then I know I'll be happy. Then I know other people will know I've made it, right? A lot of people think this way. So Jacob actually sacrifices everything to get Rachel. Literally, read the story. He sacrifices years of his life to get the beautiful girl. People make all kinds of sacrifices, emotional sacrifices, Financial sacrifices, relational sacrifices, in order to get something beautiful to make them feel valuable. Did you catch that? All kinds of people will sacrifice themselves to attain something beautiful to make them feel valuable. We all do it. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He says, when we make good things into ultimate things, then they become... Non-negotiables. Non-negotiables in our lives that end up driving us, controlling us, and eventually destroying us, destroying us. What does a non-negotiable look like? A non-negotiable looks like, I have to get that in order for me to feel peace, secure, happy. Or I need them to not get that so I can feel happy, secure, right? Those are your non-negotiables. So I want you to pause for a second. And think about what could be your non negotiable that God is working on in you to say, would you let go of that? Would you trust me? That non negotiable. I had one, my own insecurity, I can talk about just like Jacob. I know what it's like to be overshadowed by siblings. To be driven to prove that I'm valuable, I grew up with an older brother, and older sister. In my teenage years, I mean, they were perfect. They were the great athletes. They were popular. Uh, My sister was the homecoming uh, queen, and and she was the dancer on the team. Uh, They both had 4.0 GPAs, and I only had, catch this, a 3.75 GPA. Now, growing up in a stereotypical Asian family, a 3.75 is like an Asian F, they say, okay? Because it's like... (laughs) The expectations in the culture and the community are so high, you know, and you get the speeches like, we didn't, you know, we didn't work so hard to do this, this, and this for you to get a B plus. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, right? So there's pressure, and I had my own self-pressure, self-pressure as well, that I wanted to prove myself. I would come up short every time I compared myself. To my older siblings, I always fell short, literally fell short. My brother was like six inches taller than me. He could play football and I couldn't. Literally came up short. <laughs> Haunted me, really did. So I worked hard to overcome my insecurity. And guess the two paths I chose? To try to do things that made me feel better, accomplish things, better grades, better friends. Uh, you know, maybe someone, you know, calling me back when I asked them out for a date, whatever it would be, helped me feel better. Or when other people were doing worse, oh, now I could feel better because they totally blew it on that test. You see what an unhealthy pattern it is? Because I'm actually dependent. I have to keep achieving for me to feel good about myself or I need other people to fail in order to f- for me to feel good. That's a terrible way to live. And that's a heart of insecurity. You're always going to be striving for something. Yeah, I was a churchgoer at that point, but not a real worshiper of God. I allowed insecurity to become my God. It ran my life. I worked really hard to gain things I thought would help me overcome my insecurity. Things, uh, th- this insecurity in me that I called the me monster, the me monster. Me, I got I to gotta get better. Me monster. The weird thing about insecurity, I don't know if you ever found this out, the harder you try to overcome it, it's like it grows even more. The more I accomplish things, so I can oh I can feel good about myself now. Then it's like I had to do something better. I had to like top it, because if I didn't top it, then I'd just sink down into this sadness. If only I achieve this level of respect in my social circle, well then I'll be happy. That was my non-negotiable. Oh, if the pretty girl would go out on a date with me, then. I will be happy. That was my non-negotiable. Or if I got into that school or got that accolade, if I only could undo this injustice, this perceived injustice in my life, then I'll be at peace. What are your non-negotiables? That sometimes, even as a follower of Christ, you kind of hold on to and secretly inside, you're like, Lord, I'm not, I cannot have joy until you get me that. What is that that? Your non-negotiable. What is your if only? If only I had that. If only this could happen. If only this could change. What is your if only? See, back in Genesis 25, Jacob's insecurity led him to steal his brother's inheritance. I mean, this is a terrible thing he did. He pretended to be Esau, his older brother, to his dying and sick and blind father. I mean, this is not a good play. This is super dysfunction going on here. He pretends to be his older brother. He's so insecure about his standing with his father. He's willing to deceive his dying and blind dad to get a blessing. Now, I think it's likely when you read the story and go, I mean, you should read Genesis. You should read these stories. These are amazing stories. So much dysfunction. I think it's likely that Jacob knew that he's not really going to get the inheritance. I mean, they're going to figure out it's not really him. I think maybe Jacob just longed to hear his father's approval. Even if he knew it was like a fleeting moment, even if he's in disguise, at least he got to hear his father bless him, finally. And how many of us are walking around in life looking for the father's blessing, looking for someone's blessing, someone who hurt you, scarred you, undermined you, stabbed you in the back, neglected you, You're looking for their blessing. Even how much they hurt you, you're still wanting their blessing. Just like Jacob. Even though he knew it wouldn't last, at least he got to hear his father say it. That we're valuable, that our lives aren't negligible. Maybe we want to prove to mom or dad or your ex or your former boss that you're doing just okay without them. We have something to prove. Maybe all Jacob wanted to hear, even if by deceit, was that his daddy was blessing him. was proud of him. Jacob's life is consumed, we see, story after story, by insecurity and deceit, likely in order to get the blessing. You see that? That insecurity was his brother's entire life time, of pattern after pattern, cyclical, trying to get the blessing in the wrong places. Take a look at verse 24 from Genesis 32, verse 24 says, "And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day, And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. Then he said, "Let me go, for the day has broken." but Jacob said, "I will not let you go unless you bless me." Jacob's always looking for the blessing. Now This wrestling goes on for hours and hours and hours. Now, if you think it's awkward watching a modern-day wrestling match, it only lasts six minutes, okay? So you don't have to watch Pastor Tim's old VHS tapes of me in my unitard and tights for just six minutes. That's all it takes. But Jacob wrestled for hours. Now, you might look at the Bible, and some of your skeptical friends are like, there's no way they could wrestle for hours. That's ridiculous. No one does that. And I will let you know, in 1912, at the Olympics... There was the longest wrestling match in history. Guess how long? 11 hours and 40 minutes. This was before Gatorade or Red Bull or anything, right? This is real stuff. And so Jacob is wrestling the mysterious man until the sun is about to come out. Jacob realizes this is no ordinary man. And in fact, he realizes he's wrestling an angel Or perhaps God himself, this is no ordinary human being. Some scholars believe, here's a big theological word, that this is a Christophany. A Christophany. This is a pre-incarnation of Jesus' appearance of the eternal Son. He appears in a Christophany in the Old Testament in a moment, in a scene, where he takes on some kind of form of a man before his full true incarnation it was you know him as Jesus the eternal son who we know as Jesus the Messiah so perhaps Jacob believes that if he sees God's face in the sunlight that perhaps I'm wrestling with God I'm going to be destroyed but instead of trying to run Jacob actually clutches onto the man and begs for a blessing he begs him I will not let go until you bless me You see, before this encounter, he's still holding on to his insecurity. He's still looking for the blessing from other things. But Jacob, in this story, is finally looking for the blessing in the right place. And I will not let go until you bless me. He couldn't find his blessing from his dad. He couldn't find his blessing from his mom. He couldn't find it by stealing from his brother. He couldn't get the blessing by marrying the beautiful girl. He couldn't get the blessing by attaining riches, no matter how much more he kept achieving and getting through his own efforts or by deceit, no matter what, it never gave him the blessing he looked for. So Jacob finally had to let go of his striving in order to get the love, to get the blessing he really was always looking for, what he really needed. Jacob finally got the blessing he was looking for because he was finally looking in the right place. I will not let go until you bless me, God. Every one of us needs to have a moment like that. God, you and you alone. No more will be me striving to try to prove myself, to get the blessing from these other people, these other things, these other attainments, to try to attain beautiful things. No more will I try to feel blessed by other people's lives going worse than mine. Forgive me for both ways of seeking the blessing. I will not let go of you until you alone bless me. I need a blessing that will always last. I'm tired. It's not working. My deceit isn't working. My posing isn't working. My strategy isn't working. I need another way to make it work, God. I'm not letting go. And so Jacob finally got the blessing he always wanted and always needed. Jacob would forever have a limp because of this encounter, this mysterious wrestler who we believe is God somehow. Maybe Jesus himself, pre-incarnation form. And Jacob would always be reminded of this, that he got the blessing that he always wanted in his weakness, not in his strength. Friends, you want God to bless you? It's gonna come in your weakness, not with your resume. It's by knowing you can never have a good enough resume. You can never be religious enough. You can never be good enough. You can never be smart enough. You can never have enough people be worse than you to make yourself feel good enough. You have to let go and grab onto God to say, I'm not going to let go until you bless me, until you fill me with the identity in you. And you walked away with a limp because it's in your weakness that you find the strength and the love and the blessing you need. At the uh, end of this, we see God gives him a new name, in fact. A new name, Israel, speaking of their struggle Literally means. So Jacob will be the man whom the great nation of Israel will be born. This Savior will come out of Israel and will get Jesus. So, in many ways, the idea that he was wrestling with the one that would come and be revealed hundreds, maybe thousands of years later. And then Pastor Tim Keller says this, this is a great question. He asks this thoughtful question Why would God feign weakness to keep from killing Jacob and then give him clues as to who he was and then bless him for no other reason that then he held on to desperately. Why would God pretend in this wrestling match to lose, basically? And the answer to our question comes later in the Bible because in the darkness with Jacob, God feigned weakness in order to save Jacob's life. But in the darkness of Calvary. Our Lord Jesus appeared as a man and became truly weak to save us. Jacob held on in obedience at the risk of his life in order to gain a blessing for himself. But when facing the cross, Jesus, a true and better Jacob, though he could have turned aside, though he could have left that cross, Jesus held on in obedience at the cost of his life. Jesus did this in order to gain the blessing, not for himself, but for us. You see, Jesus himself wrestled with God on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wrestled on the cross, but not to get a blessing for himself, but a blessing for us. Jesus is a true and better Jacob Because Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. God sent his son into our damaged world to show us his costly love that we might be compelled to receive his loving embrace, to receive the identity we need, to receive the love that lasts forever. To stop trying to prove ourselves by attaining things and being successful at things and uh, climbing up this ladder, to stop trying to feel good about ourselves by seeing other people's lives being worse off than us as well. There's no way to live. Jesus says, follow me. I'll show you the true way. You can have peace, the, you, the things you've been looking for. So God sent his son into our damaged world with costly love. So what's keeping you from the embrace of Jesus? See, for Jacob, his insecurity was keeping him far from God. He was seeking a blessing from other things, his own achievements or other people's demise, that only can God can give that peace, that love, that security. And perhaps Jacob's life is a little bit like ours. You know, when we take communion next week, I want you to imagine when we have the bread and the cup, that we Christians will remember the bruises that Jesus endured for us. That that body broken, that that cup that spilled out blood reminds us that Jesus battled and wrestled on that. that his bruises brought you and me healing that as we come to the table next week we would keep in mind this is not just symbolic but something very real where jesus present with us reminding us he gave it all not so that he would be blessed he wrestled with god the father on the cross so that you would be blessed not just once but for eternity so jesus is true and better jacob became bruised for us. And so we need to drop our drive to keep trying to prove ourselves. To stop our drive, our, those essentials, that, that non-negotiable. And Jesus is saying, let go. Let go of your non-negotiables. Whatever you're trying to do to make yourself feel better, Jesus says, I'm the only one, the only thing that will last. And he wants us to say yes so that we will be representatives in this world to the whole world, telling our neighbors and our friends and strangers that there is a love that will never go out and it will always last. You can find true ultimate satisfaction in me. There's no more need for insecurity. There's no more need for striving. No more need to keep trying to do better and better and best to get people to say nice things about you or for that person that ignores you to finally see you. You're going to keep getting ignored in this world, friends. There's always going to be someone who put you down. There's always going to be something else you can't attain. And so God tells us, stop trying. Rest in me. Be satisfied. You know, the beautiful thing, because of the cross, the Bible even says that Jesus became sin. In him becoming sin, the Bible also says that he gives you his righteousness So it actually means when God the Father looks at you, He doesn't see the sin. He sees His Son's perfect righteousness in you. That's the great exchange on the cross. That's what the bread and the cup are about. No more need to strive. No more need to be insecure. No more need to believe that there is no hope, because with Jesus, there's always hope. We can drop our guard. We can let go of our non-negotiables. If I can only have that, then I know I will be happy. What is your if only? We grab onto so, so tightly in, in the grip. God is trying to pro- get us to open up our hands, to let go of that thing we hold on to. If only, if only I had that. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want to find true satisfaction in you this love that we've always longed for. Lord, forgive us, even for us who say we are followers of you. Lord, we are looking for satisfaction, looking for us feeling validated and noticed in all the wrong places. Lord, help us to find it solely in you. Help us to spend time with you. Lord, some of us in this room, we don't know how to spend time with you. So, Lord, help us to learn Help us to tell a friend or someone. Say, I need help praying. I need help reading the Bible. I need I need help listening to the Lord. I need help living it out. Lord, give us the power to experience You, to hear You, to sense it, to sense You when You're nudging us by Your Spirit. Lord, may this Word, as we read it, come alive. May the fellowship with other believers be so rich that we're spurring one another onto love and good deeds. May we be attentive to the Spirit who is stirring up within us, noticing brokenness in the world that you have made us and formed us to address, that you prepared ministry for us, Lord. Help us have eyes to see it. Oh, Lord, forgive us for being so caught up in the me monster, trying to make myself feel good and feel valuable, that I forget I've been put on this planet to be a blessing to others. Oh, Lord, we pray against the devil's schemes that wants to be so distracted by our own insecurities, our own pain, our own strive to get justice in our lives that we would forget that you want to use us as tools for justice, tools of kindness, to be ourselves in you because of your power in us, to use our hands, use our feet, as if Jesus yourself are living in us. And and Lord, thank you that it's true. You are living in us and living through us. And so Lord, help us not forget our self-centeredness, is keeping us from all the good works that you want us to step into. And so, Lord, we want to be blessed to be a blessing. Lord, bless us as we sing. Bless us as we worship you. Bless us as we serve you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, amen.